is clay in the hands of the potter. He holds the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, the upright and the disgraceful. The remarkable thing about the Father is that he is able to take all of the pieces of life and work them into a unique masterpiece. When all I am encounters the great I am, the result is transformation, blessing, and life. Oh, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we would come to you this morning and ask that by the power of your spirit, um, you would chase us down today, that you would seek us out, that by the power and fierceness and jealousy of your love, uh, you would remind us who we are and that in you we're found. So Father, through the life of Jacob, would you draw us in? By the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Growing up as a kid, I, I used to love to go to amusement parks. We, we grew up sort of near Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm, Six Flags. And so I used to love to ride, ride those roller coasters whenever we had the chance. And I can remember as, as a little kid standing in line and, and seeing the, the loops that they would do and the flips that the roller coaster would do. And, and each step we took in line, getting closer and closer to actually getting on the ride, I could feel my blood pressure rising. And it was this sort of nervous, um, fearful excitement. And, and then I can remember getting on the ride and, and having the time of my life, just the, the flips and the turns and the speed and all of that fear and all of that excitement got turned into a great time, a great time. And so I wanted my kids to have this same experience. And so we went to um, the Eagle County Fair, the mighty metropolis of Eagle, Colorado. Um, and they had a, a fair, and the roller coaster, quote unquote, there, I think was probably backed in on a flatbed truck the night before it was set up. It had a dragon on the front of it. It wasn't exactly um, death-defying in any way, shape, or form. And my kids um, resisted going on the ride. And like any good father, I forced them to. <laughs> and we were standing in line. I can remember we were the only people in line. We're giving that pep talk like, hey, you can do it. And by doing it, all we mean is sitting there, right? Like, you can get on this ride. And there's tears. And, and finally, there's enough bribery that they actually end up getting on the ride. And they were flying. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like... 10 feet in a circle, right? There's a massive green dragon. And here's the thing. If you could zoom in on my daughter's face, here's what you'd see. And my son. But, but Avery, if you could see more clearly in the picture, she's, her face is all splotchy and it's all red because she was crying and her arms twisted because I was twisting her arm. And um, I finally, finally got him on the ride. And they walked off the ride with those faces, right? What started off as fear, what started off as, as anxiety was turned into excitement and was turned into fun. I was thinking about that in, in, in your life and mine, that every single day, every single moment of every single day, we have an experience that's similar, that, that things are converted in our life all the time. Let me give you one example. Just take a deep breath and exhale. Your body just did a conversion. 
Okay, what you did was you, you took oxygen into your lungs and your body sent that oxygen and is sending that oxygen through your blood all throughout your body to give your body the nutrients that it needs. And then when you breathe out, you breathe out what? Carbon dioxide, right? Some of you are like, but I didn't pass biology. Didn't pass biology. It's okay. It's a safe place. Safe place. Yeah, you breathe out carbon dioxide, right? You breathe in oxygen. There's a conversion that takes place, and then you, you breathe out carbon dioxide. I started to think about that as I looked at the life of Jacob. And the question I wanted to ask, I was prompted by the book of Hebrews, was when we breathe in faith, what do we breathe out? When we breathe in life with God, what do we breathe out? What is, it, what is it converted into? See, we could read through the scriptures and get a number of different answers for that. We, we could look at, at some passages of scripture and what, what it's breathed out as or what it's converted into is, um, is confidence or boldness. We can see that faith is translated into, sometimes it's translated into justice and a longing for God to make the world to rights. Sometimes faith is converted into, into love. That's what it looks like on the ground and in people's lives. And, and sometimes faith is looked, it looks like telling people about this great God that we serve. But in the life of Jacob, towards the end of his life, as he's breathing in faith, he's breathing out something that's different than the biblical list that we just went through. In the book of Hebrews, they actually give him a shout out in the hall of faith for being a person of faith, and they describe what this faith was translated into in, in his life. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. That's where we're going to start today. Hebrews chapter 11. The author of Hebrews is going through a number of people who lived significant lives because of the faith that they had in their great God, and he gets to Jacob. And here's what the author of Hebrews says about the life of Jacob. He says, by faith, so, so because of this faith and, and walking in this faith and because faith was what he breathed in, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, this is his son, blessed his grandsons, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. It's fascinating, really. That what happened when Jacob walked by faith, lived by faith, breathed in faith, that what he breathed out into the lives of the people around him, specifically to his family, was blessing. By faith, even when he was dying, when his body was wasting away, what was coming out of every pore of his being? Blessing. As he's dying, he's speaking a good word over the people who are around him. If you read through the whole chapter of Hebrews 11, you'll find great stories. You'll find the story of Noah building the ark. That's a pretty significant faith-filled achievement, is it not? You hear stories referenced about people who um, stopped the mouths of lions, who stopped the edge of the sword, you hear a story uh, referenced about, about people who by faith conquered kingdoms. It's a pretty significant faith-filled activity, is it not? And then you come to Jacob and it's like, well, by faith he blessed people. I'm going, well, that doesn't seem all that big of a deal. <laughs> Except if we were to go around this room today 
And we were to ask, how many of us want to live lives of blessing? My guess is that every single hand, maybe there's a few jerks in the room, you go, no, not me, okay? Um, but that most people, most people would go, absolutely, yes, that's the, that's the type of life that I want to live. I want to live a life where blessing comes out of every pore of my body, where I speak a good word over the people that I interact with, that when they walk away from me, there's this Jesus residue that stays with them, this blessing that stays with them. And the question many of us wrestle with is, how does that become a reality in life? Because try harder doesn't seem to work, because there's this thing about people that's true, and and here's what it is, most, some People tick me off, and it's hard to be a blessing, and sometimes try harder doesn't work. What Jacob's life displays to us is that the hand of blessing is always extended through the life of faith, that this walk with Jesus, this trust in God is the thing that allows us to consistently be a blessing to the people around us, to to speak a good word over the people around us. See, when I walk faithfully, I bless consistently. It turns out that one of the byproducts of trusting Jesus is being a blessing and a blesser of the people around me. That if I want to bless the people around me, I've got to trust God because blessing flows through us when faith lives within us. When faith lives within us. See, Jesus, he said a similar thing. He said, um, what comes out of your mouth or, or what just exudes from your life proceeds from the heart. Have you ever thought about that? That everything you say is speaking about and from the deepest places of your soul. That when we give that sort of parting glance at somebody that's, that's meant as a curse or that criticism or that cynical remark or that put down in order to make ourselves feel better, here's what we're actually doing. We're putting on display the condition of our soul. That this is what's going on inside of me. So, so I watched like many of you did when uh, they had the mass funerals for the people who were killed in the Orlando shooting a few weeks ago. And I watched as the Westboro Baptist Church picketed those funerals. And I thought, and I looked at that picture and I thought, please, Jesus, don't let this be what the world thinks Christians are like. And then I thought, man, if that's what's coming out of their life, Think about what's going on in their heart. And my, my, my heart just went out to them. Because can you think of how much anger and how much bitterness and how much rage must be dwelling inside of people to go there? See, everything that comes out of our life is a, indicative, is a picture, is an expression of what's going on in our soul. And so here's what the book of Hebrews would say. If we want out of our mouth to come blessing, and we would, almost all of us would say we would, then we've got to be the type of people who cling close to Jesus, who trust Jesus, who live lives of faith, because the hand of blessing is always, always, always extended through the life of faith. So if I were you, my question would be, well, how does that happen? And why? Why, why, why? 
does a life of faith lead to a posture of blessing? Why is that true, Ryan? I'll trust you that it is, but, but why is it true? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. If you turn with me back to Genesis chapter 48, we're going to go and read the narrative, the story of Jacob actually giving this blessing that he's commended for in the book of Hebrews. It's going to show us how the hand of blessing is extended through the life of faith. And, and just to catch you up, we're, we're closing out a series on the life of Jacob we've been doing over the last 10 weeks. And we've seen Jacob start off as this second born in a first born society. He was sort of born a rung lower than he would have wanted to be. He was loved more by his mother than he was by his father. That wasn't a great thing in a patriarchal culture. And he found himself being drawn to cooking in tents rather than hunting in fields, which wasn't the manliest way to live back in the day. He goes through a number of things in his life. He's on the run for a lot of time. And as we pick up the story in chapter 48, Jacob is at the ripe old age of 147. He got his AARP card, okay? He's, he's 147. He's coming to the end of his life. As the passage in Hebrews suggested, he's coming to the end and he's dying. And listen to what he does. Verse 40, or chapter 48, starting in verse 8, says this. And when Israel, or Jacob, saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? See, Joseph is his 11th born son, and he hadn't met these sons yet because Joseph had been taken off into captivity in Egypt where he'd been living. And so Jacob is finally reunited with his whole family, and he says, Joseph, who, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may what? Bless them, that I may bless them. Verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age. He couldn't see well. So Joseph brought them near, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. And he's going to go on from here, and he's going to give them a blessing, as the scriptures say. I want to ask some questions, though, about this passage, because there's some intricacies of what's going on that will let us go deeper into how to become people of faith that then blessing just naturally comes from us. Because if you were to look at Jacob's life on the surface, everything is not going as planned, quote unquote. I mean, Jacob, at this point in time, at this point in time, he is in Egypt. He's not in the land that God promised him. He's had to flee from that land because there was a famine and they ran out of food and they were on death's doorstep. And luckily, luckily, by coincidence, one of his younger sons had been sold into slavery in Egypt where he became um, one of the rulers in the Pharaoh's household and then he welcomed him back. Crazy coincidence, right? And so he's not in the promised land. He's not in the house that he built and the land that he purchased and the life that he thought in his mind. Not only that, but they're getting ready, his people are getting ready to spend 400 years in this land as slaves. It's a long time. You add on top of that, his life is coming to a close. His body is shutting down. He's taking what he views to be some of his last breaths. And what does he do? in the midst of a body that's failing, in the midst of a story that's crumbling, in the midst of everything going wrong, Jacob refuses to allow his present moment to redefine God's past faithfulness. And that's what faith does in us. 
faith does us, it gives us this ability to see life through a new lens. It gives us a, an ability to see life through a different perspective. See, Jacob could have cursed that day. He's dying. He's in exile. They're going to be in slavery. He doesn't have the things God promised him in the land that he longed for. And yet what comes out of his life is not cursing, but a life of, of blessing. How is that even, how is it even possible? See, Jacob refuses, 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 refuses to allow the present moment to redefine the entire story. That's what he does. He's going, all right, God, this is what's happening now, but I can see the bigger picture. I refuse to let the temporal define the eternal. That's what he's saying. This is a new faith-given perspective. I think you can see this best in chapter 35. If you have your own Bible, flip over there. Because Jacob had practiced living this way, had practiced living this way. If you were with us last week, we, we read about the call that God gave Jacob to rise and go to Bethel. It was this invitation back to a place of vitality. It was an invitation to return to his life being full and his soul being alive. And as he goes back to Bethel, um, they, they leave from there and they're returning to their home. And listen, we'll pick up the story there in verse 16 of chapter 35. It says, and then they journeyed from Bethel, and they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor. Now, just a quick sort of parentheses. If you've been with us, um, Rachel is the wife that he loved more than Leah. Rachel is um, the hot wife, okay? Rachel is the one he wanted to have kids with this whole entire time. They had Joseph, and now she's in labor, and she had a hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. And my guess is that at that moment, Rachel's eyes lit up, her face lit up. This was what she wanted. This is what she'd hoped for. This is what she prayed for. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni. You probably have a little um, letter or number next to that name and then a note at the bottom. And the note at the bottom will tell you that Ben-Onai, Ben means son in the Hebrew, and Onai means sorrow. Son of my sorrow. And Rachel says, here's the thing, I know that I'm breathing my last. And he says she, she takes that beautiful little baby boy and they wrap him up. And as she's breathing her last breath, her midwife takes that baby and she says, hey, just one thing, one thing before I die. Can you, can you tell Jacob to name this son Benoni, name him son of my sorrow because I'm about to take my last breath and labor has taken it out of me and his name should be indicative of how he came into this world. And as a midwife takes that baby and carries that baby to his father, to Jacob, she says, hey, here, here's your son, and your now late wife, Rachel, wants you to name him Benoni, son of my sorrow. It would have been a really fitting name. I mean, it was a sorrowful condition to which he was born into. Uh, this was the wife that Jacob loved. He'd given his heart and his soul to this woman, and now in childbirth, she passes away. 
And I wonder if Jacob looked at the midwife and said, that's a good, that's a good name. That's a fine name. Um, is Rachel dead now? Is she gone now? Yeah, she's gone now. Okay, great. So we're not going to name him Ben-Onai, right? We're actually going to name him Ben-Jamin, which means son of my jammin, right? He's like, no, okay. We're going to name him Benjamin. And here's what it means. It means son of my. Okay, so Ben-Onai means son of my sorrow. Son of my sorrow, that which just rips the guts out of me and takes the life out of me. But Benjamin, Benjamin means son of my right hand, which was the hand of strength, which was also the hand of blessing. And he goes, hey, okay, okay, Rachel, I get it. I get how you could see this circumstance as one that would be indicative of death, but I see this circumstance as one that is indicative of blessing. We prayed for this boy. We hoped for this boy. We longed for this boy. God's delivered this boy, and yeah, you're going to take your last breath, and that's tragic, and that's sad, and that's sorrowful. But what Jacob speaks back to the world around him is, I refuse to let a moment in this boy's history define his destiny. I refuse to let one thing that happens in his life speak a word over his entire life. And what Jacob says to you and to I in the most beautiful, thought-provoking ways is that I'm going to trust God's promises, and God's promises are going to be greater than the pain that I experience in my life. So here's the deal, friends. So much of our life is this mixture is this mixture of, you see, Rachel dying, she's passing away while Jacob is holding this brand new little life. So much of life is a mixture of both sorrow and joy, of regret and of strength. So much of life is a mixture of both pain, things that hurt, things that we'd rather avoid, things that stink and we'd like to fast forward through, and... God's promise to be ridiculously, graciously good to us. So much of life is a mixture. So here, will you look up at me for just a second? Here's a beautiful thing about that. You get to decide how you label it. Is it going to be Benoni? Or is it going to be Benjamin? And everything that comes into our life has to pass through a lens. And we have to look at it and decide when we look back on this story, what is going to be the story we're going to tell. And the label that we give will often lead to the story that we tell about the things that happen in our life. And I can tell you, a lot of your anger and a lot of my anger comes from mislabeling from mislabeling the kids as they're just crazy, rambunctious, misbehaving kids. Or they're three. <laughs> Both are true. What label are you going to give them? Right? Oh, the dog's a terrible dog. It just pees all over the house and is untrained. Um, or you're just a bad trainer. Okay, no. Um, or they're a puppy. Right? What, la what label everything that happens in our life? has to pass through the lens of the label that we give it. So here's some questions for you. Is there some pain in your life 
that could be labeled growth? Is there some failure in your life that could be labeled strength? Is, is there some breaking down of your body that could be labeled hope? Is there some death that could be labeled life? Because one of the things Jacob does, faith stirs inside of him this ability to have a greater perspective. I refuse to get caught in the momentary and define the destiny based on what happens in a moment. I'm not going to do that. That kid is not Ben-Onai. He's Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of my strength, son of my blessing. And he speaks it over him. I love the way that Viktor Frankl, the great author of the book Man's Search for Meaning, puts it when he says this. He says, life is never, ever, ever, ever made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. Wow. What labels are you giving? See, see, we read about Jacob and the faith that he has because um, of the blessing that he gives, but that's all birthed out of his ability. Faith gave him an ability to see a greater perspective, to, to zoom out, to zoom out. Listen to the, the blessing, the content of the blessing that, that Jacob then gives. And he gives this over, his kid, over Joseph and his grandkids, and he says, and he blessed Joseph, verse 15 of chapter 48. He blessed Joseph and said, the God whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who's been my shepherd all my life to this day, and the angel who has redeemed me from evil, bless the boys and let them in my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. See, Jacob is claiming that God has taken care of him every step of the way. He says, he's been my shepherd, how long? All my life. Now, if you've been with us over the last 10 weeks, you're going, all my life. Now, there's some crazy mixed up soap opera type things that have gone on. Has there not been? Right? All my life means, okay, so God has been my shepherd even when? I stole the blessing from my brother. Even when I got bad advice from my mom and I ran away from home. Even when I approached crazy uncle Laban. Even then, God was my shepherd. And even when crazy uncle Laban took advantage of me. And even when I woke up next to Leah when I thought I was going to wake up next to Rachel. Even then, God was my shepherd. Which has happened to most of us, right? Even then, God was my shepherd, he says. And God was my shepherd when I came back and I encountered Esau and he had 400 men coming to fight me. And even then, God was my shepherd when the, the men of Shechem were wiped out because of a surgery that they had because my boys tried to talk him into a covenant and then we had to flee even then. God was my shepherd. And see, here's what Jacob would pour into his boys and his grandsons as he's dying is my, my life story is a testimony of God's faithfulness. That's what he would say. And see, faith, it grounds us in the reality of God's providence. 
It's this 2020 hindsight vision that followers of Jesus get to operate in. It's the putting on of the proverbial 3D glasses in the movie, right? That just looks silly. When are they going to clean those things up a little bit? But okay, that's, but to put them on, right? And then to see the faithfulness of God all around us. That's what faith allows us to do. I mean, have you ever met somebody who was just walking with Jesus and they saw him at work everywhere in their life? Sometimes we label them as nuts or crazy, but what we should label them as faithful, walking with God, seeing his fingerprints all my life. See, here's the deal. Faith gives us eyes to see the fingerprints of God all over our life. And so looking back, that's what Jacob tells his sons and his grandsons. He's been my shepherd all my life. Even when I went to crazy Uncle Laban and I had nothing to my name, he was my shepherd and he provided. And even when I left and I was uprooted and I didn't know what the future was going to bring, even then, God was my shepherd and he provided. And when we walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he was my good shepherd and he did provide. And when I didn't know which way was up and when I had so much pain in my life that I felt like the world was crumbling around me, even then... He was good, and he was my God. John Owen, the great Puritan author, says it like this, writing about this passage. He says, it was a work of faith to retain a precious, thankful remembrance of divine providence in the midst of constant provision of all needful temporal supplies from first to last during the whole course of his life. Here's the Cliff Notes version of that quote. God never let me down. He never let me down. Doesn't mean it was easy, but it means he never let me down. He goes on to say, through the hazards and through the trials, even angels attended to me. They redeemed me. Jacob's saying that the life of faith doesn't mean we're just skipping through a field all, the whole day. It means that God holds us even in the darkest moments of life. That's what he's saying. And that his covenant, Abraham and Isaac, his father and his grandfather, this story has been passed down to them. I love it though what Jacob does is he gathers his boys around him. He gathers his kids around him. And he doesn't say, all right, boys, I've written a 10-page paper on the faithfulness of God. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read that to you. Point one, God has been faithful. Point two, right? And, and walk them through the scriptures. He's not giving them a doctrinal dissertation. He's inviting them into the story of his life. Because the truth of the matter, friends, is that the stories that we tell will be the seeds of hope in the lives of the people that hear them. The stories that we tell. Listen, the, the faithfulness of God in the previous generation in the stories that are told, will be, will be the hope of God's faithfulness for the coming generation. So here's the deal. Will you look up at me for just a second? We need to hear your stories. 
Those of you that are, are, are further along the pathway of faith, we need to hear your stories. We need to hear the ways that God has been faithful, that he has been good, that he has held you. We need to hear the ways that God didn't always come through in the way that you hoped that he would, but that he was always sufficient and he was always enough. We need to hear those stories because those stories are seeds of hope in the lives and souls of the people that will walk with Jesus for the next however many decades he gives us. We need to hear those stories. Jacob is telling one of those stories because story is a thing. God's faith, stories of God's faithfulness is the stamina of faith for people that currently walk with him. Which, by the way, this is just for free. You should read biographies of people who have walked with Jesus. You should read biographies of people who see God do miraculous things. You should read Bonhoeffer's biography. You should read Aquinas' biography. You should read the stories that people tell about St. Francis of Assisi. You should read about these guys, about Hudson Taylor. You should read about these heroes of the faith. Why? Because their story is meant to sow seeds of hope into your life. And when it does, it starts to look like faith. And then it starts to be breathed out as blessing. I have this confidence. God's been good before, and I have this hope. He's going to be good again. My friend and one of our elders, Eric Nevins, has started this blog. It's called Halfway There. And what he's doing is he's just telling people stories of faith. Some of the people are people in this congregation. You know them. Some of the people are people that he's run into. But his conviction and the Bible's conviction and our conviction as a church is that the stories of faith that people have to tell are the seeds of hope that we need to receive. And so he's telling stories, and it's not the story of like, well, and then everything turned out happily ever after. Praise God. Praise God. Because that isn't real life for most people. There's stories of faith on the darkest night of my life he held me close. On the night where I thought, or the day that I thought he'd taken his hands off, looking back, I realized he has been my shepherd. That there's a spiritual heritage that's passed down. When you tell your story, you plant seeds of hope. And we need to hear it. Because God sometimes doesn't come through on the timing that we think he should come through on. Amen? I mean, sometimes it doesn't look like what we thought it should look like. That's true all throughout this passage and all throughout the scriptures, which is why we need people looking back going, oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, 100% of the time, my God's been faithful. There's never been a day where he let me down. Here's the way this passage closes. So Jacob blesses, he blesses both of his grandsons. And he says this, and then Israel said to Joseph, to his son, he says, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you to the land of your fathers. Here, here, if I could summarize what, what, Jake, what Jacob just said. He said, I'm going away, but good news, God is going nowhere. Nowhere. And yeah, 
I've been the leader of this family, and I've been the father, and I've been a, sometimes a good father, sometimes a bad father, but, but through it all, God's been the one who's been faithful, and I want to give you a good, good news. I want to speak a blessing over you as I'm taking my last breath. The person, the thing that sustained me through my whole life is not dying with me. The baton of faith that Jacob hands to the next generation is not, I was awesome. The baton of faith that Jacob hands to the next generation is, God has been amazing, and I'm dying, but he is going nowhere. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's what faith does. It stirs in us this confidence in God's promises and God's presence. He's been with me, Jacob says, and you wonder if he goes, if he's thinking back, yeah, there's been some times where I've been a little bit shady, and if God was going to tap out, he would have done it on me. And so with all confidence, he can say, God stuck with me through the muck and through the mire, and he pulled me out of the pit. And in the same way that God has been with me, he will be with you. This is the substance of faith. To be able to see the world with a perspective of God is at work even when things are falling apart. To see the world with a perspective of I know there's pain, but there's promises from God that undergird all of that. And I'm holding on to the promises. I'm not labeling it as pain. I'm seeing the promise, and that's the label it's getting. And it's the stuff of faith that allows us to see back and look back on our life and see the providence of God in any and every situation that we have walked in and walked through. And it's the stuff of faith that allows us to with confidence say, Every step of the way, he's been with me, and so he will be with you. As I, as I look at my life, I don't know that I have a deeper desire than to say to my kids, he's going to be with you in the same way he's been with me. To say there's a different way to see the world. To bust out of the, the temporal and to see the eternal. That that's the type of thing I want to pass down to my kids. You know, we'll all leave a legacy. Every single one of us. The question isn't whether or not we'll leave a legacy. The question is what our legacy will be and what type of legacy we'll leave. I stumbled across this story of a missionary whose name is William, Dr. William Leslie. And in 1912, William Leslie, he went and he spent 17 years of his life ministering in the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. After 17 years, he came home assuming that his ministry there had been an absolute failure. He got sick and nine years after he returned home, Dr. Leslie passed away and died. But in 2010, there was a group of people that went back to this same area. 
And when they went back, based on what Leslie had told them, they expected to find people who have heard the story about Jesus and who maybe at some, some level, in some way, uh, some syncretistic way, may understand the gospel, but they didn't expect to find followers of Jesus. And when they went to these villages, what they found absolutely astounded them. Listen to what the leader of this expedition writes. He says, and when we got in there, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Each village had its own gospel choir, although they wouldn't call it that, he notes. They wrote their own songs and would have sing-offs from village to village. I mean, can you imagine that? The throwdown, that's better than the Copa America going on. It's like, hey, the heck with soccer. Let's have a sing-off, baby, right? Villages getting together. I don't know how you judge that, but they did, okay? They also found, or they found a church in each of the eight villages they visited scattered across 34 miles. They found a 1,000-seat stone cathedral that often was so crowded in the 1980s, people walked from miles around to attend, and that church-planting movement was birthed out of those worship services. Dr. Leslie, he writes, traveled throughout this remote region teaching the Bible, promoting literacy. He also started the first organized educational system in these villages. Ramsey learned, this guy who was doing this expedition, for 17 years, Leslie fought tropical illness, charging buffaloes, armies of ants, and leopard-infested jungles to bring the gospel to this remote area. He died feeling like he had failed. But instead, his faithfulness and courage left a powerful legacy of vital churches. You know, I love that story. It's because it can be so easy to measure our faithfulness at the time by our fruitfulness in the moment. Did you know God never commands you to be fruitful? He only tells you that you will be as you abide in him. And I don't know about you, but I can look at my life and go, man, I wish there was so much more coming out of it. And God's, if that's you this morning, here's what God wants to say, is don't look at that as the measurement of your life. Your job and your job simply is to walk by faith. To live a life where you trust God, to live a life where you surrender to God, to, to see from his perspective, to know his providence, and to recognize his presence in every moment. And as you walk by faith, you will be a blessing. See, friends, the legacy that we leave, and we all will leave one, will be determined by the faith that we live. I imagine a community of followers of Jesus who tell the stories of God's past faithfulness, who refuse to label things pain when they could be labeled promises, and who say to the coming generation, you live in a God-bathed world, and he's been my shepherd every day of my life, and I'm 100% confident that he will be yours too. Let's pray. So 
Father, as we look back on Jacob's life, we, we see what in many ways could have been construed as just a mishmash of disconnected pieces, of some successes and a lot of failures, of some, a lot of lying and some truth, of mountaintops and valleys low. But Lord, as we look back on his life, we see that you're the thread that weaves its way throughout the whole thing, that from the get-go, there was a promise over his life, and you were faithful to that promise, God. And so we're confident that you're going to be faithful to your promises over our life, too. And so this morning, in a fresh way, we just, we surrender to you. We say that we want to live lives that are defined and um, shaped by the faith that we have in you. And Lord, we do that in light of the faithfulness that you have displayed throughout every generation. So Lord, as we look back, would you help us to see from your perspective? Would you help us to see your providence? Would you help us to know your presence? And out of that, may we be people that speak blessing over any and everybody we come in contact with this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you stand up with me, and we're going to sing a great hymn of the faith. It's seeds. It's what they are. The words are seeds of hope. <laughs>